When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you Season 2 of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I, I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. Bear down, baby. Yes, Bears fans, this is Take the North. It's real simple. You know, if you take a person's legs away, they can't run. With your hosts, David Hawn. I want to remind people, there is no award for coming to the conclusion fastest on a quarterback in your football city. Nobody remembers, and frankly, nobody cares. And Dan Weeder. Particularly in this town, we start to get the extremes trying to outshout each other, right? Those who think that he's a bust are trying to outshout those who think that he's going to be an absolute seven-time All-Pro. We're going to take the North and never give it back. Welcome to the Take the North podcast here on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. Episode 27 after the Bears lost to the Lions 31-30 to the day after. We're now dropping this on Tuesday morning as we tape this Monday night. Dan Weeder from the Chicago Tribune at Hallis Hall. I'm David Haw from the Mullion Haw Show on 670 The Score. Sifting through the rubble of the Bears' third straight loss. Doesn't quite feel like the happiest three-game losing streak in the NFL like last week felt like after that uh, euphoric defeat to the Dolphins. Dan, how would you describe what it felt like at Hallis Hall today and the tone in the aftermath. Yeah, well, I, I think it's similar, right? I think there's a sense inside the building that, oh, man, you go back through this film and you see a game against a uh, inferior opponent that wasn't playing all that well, that got away from you because you didn't execute in key moments. That's across all three phases, offense, defense, special teams. So I think the coaching staff and the players that we heard from, which were Cole Komet and Jack Sanborn on Monday afternoon, there, there's a sense of, you know, <laughs> I don't know what the word is, hunger, uh, you know, desire to, 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 to get a different result, to, to, to be good enough to win games of that caliber right like this is i think part of the the disconnect today in the city of chicago and and what what i think you and i are trying to get our arms around is this idea that trying to beat the lions doesn't matter anymore because you've already punted on the 2022 season whereas the people inside the building are trying to figure out who do we have inside this team and and inside this coaching staff that can help lead us to long-term success which requires winning games that are winnable and so that this thing i don't know david i'm i'm having trouble getting my gps recalibrated because i'm not real certain at what the destination is anymore and we can sound that out here i think that's a good way to set the stage for what we're going to talk about today and we'll begin it with our opening drive 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. It's time for the opening, the opening drive. I'm with you because I have to tell you that I have said this before and it bears repeating briefly. I really don't like this season and it has little to do with what's going on on the field. What I, and, and the development and emergence of Justin Fields is tremendous for the bears. It's been so long since they've had a franchise quarterback. So you like that aspect for the sake of the franchise. What I don't like about this season is that the way I'm wired, it's very difficult objectively to look at what's happening at Hallis Hall and to not look critically at losses the way we are conditioned to look critically at losses. And from a journalist standpoint, that's different. From a competitor standpoint, we're all, I mean, former athletes or whatever, I don't understand how you can be on a football ever have played football before or been part of a team and look at what's going on at Hallis Hall and have these losses absorbed as easily as they seem to be absorbed in the fan base. And I'm not saying one way is necessarily right or one necessarily wrong. It does create some lively debates as you have had on the radio. Thank you. <laughs> lively debates on, on the score. Um, but Dan, it's an uncomfortable reality that the bears have a lot of people believing that, the more they lose, the better off they will be because this is the year they found their quarterback and the rest just doesn't matter. There's a there's a big group of fans, David, that when Justin Fields got out against the Dolphins, not the Lions, against the Dolphins for that 61-yard touchdown run a week plus ago, uh, that was it. That was the end of the 2022 season. It was pop the corks, uh, blow up the balloons. Get out the mission accomplished banner and 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 proclaim that the 2022 season is an undeniable success because the quarterback showed enough playmaking ability to establish that he can be a reliable starting quarterback in the NFL. And at that point, nothing else matters. You don't have to go and lead game winning drives. Uh, your team doesn't have to be crisp uh, it, it, within coaching decisions or on defense or even on offense in, in, in game deciding situations. It's over. The season's over. And so I'm, I'm trying to figure out if I'm supposed to cancel my flights for the rest of the season. I got two coming up to Atlanta and, and Newark the next two weeks. Uh, maybe stay home for the home games because it, it, none of this matters anymore because 2022 is over, right? Like that is the verdict that has been cast by a lot of people. Nothing else matters because Justin Fields has shown that he is an unqualified success as a quarterback or that at least his development in year two is an unqualified success because they've unlocked the ability to score 30 points on a regular basis. And Justin's found ways to make plays on an every half basis. And so that's it. Like, like where do we go from here if, if that's the conclusion that's drawn? Well, I think it's interesting because it's not even enough for, for some in some camps to believe that 
to acknowledge, and, and I think we both uh, agree here, Justin Fields' emergence and development this year is the most important aspect of this organization for 2022. Correct. But it's not the only thing that matters. And, and that's where I push back a little bit and try to, try to at least uh, have these ongoing conversations. And they seem to be redundant at times, but I think it does bear repeating because it does matter the most, but it's not all that matters because there are 52 other guys in there because you do have to create um, a winning culture. You have to give – I think the Bears are in trouble right now because they're in the midst of a three-game losing streak. They're going on the road. And even though it's a beatable team, what we saw against the Lions is that this team is not developing, you know, winning habits. And so you can learn how to lose just as easily as you can learn how to win. And with a young team, that's a dangerous slide to begin. And not all losses are created equal. There no. are losses that are against the Dolphins, not a bad loss. I'll, I'll acknowledge that. I think we both did. There were a lot of good, positive things about the Dolphin loss where you could look back at big picture-wise and say, okay, we get it. That's Tyree Killing Company. We came close. Justin Fields broke out. Great. The Lions lost. There were no silver linings. You know, you, you did not have any bright spots emerge. They're, they're, you can't look at even the 67-yard touchdown run and feel – that good about it. I can't from a tape, like if I'm evaluating tape perspective, like, okay, he's explosive. He's spectacular. He's a star in the making, but there were other things that came up and you can't blow a two touchdown lead at home in the fourth quarter. So I, I think Dan, that we're trying to get to the same place here, but it is frustrating because I just think that there's not a whole lot. There's not a consensus, not that you need one, but there's not even maybe a majority of people that look at this bear season and feels like feel like they think it's over because all that matters is they found their quarterback. The rest doesn't matter. Yeah, it, well, so so this leads to a couple conversations. The first one being, well, first I'm going to give a shout out to loyal Take the North listener Mark Potash of the Chicago Sun Times who loves to listen to this program and and figure out what we're thinking. But he uh, kind of subtweeted us on on it was either Sunday night or Monday morning and 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 basically inferred that that we were calling the loss to the Lions cataclysmic. Let's be clear here. I don't think either one of us is saying that that loss was cataclysmic. I think we're saying that in games that you can win and should win against bad teams, you should try to win. And if you fail in those moments it's not just that you shrug past it and say oh well good try sport we'll get them the next time because that's what we do right like i mean that's you know i i i just don't know where that that mindset comes in the other part of this conversation david that confuses me is there's there's it's, it's almost like there is this belief in that fraternity that the 2023 offseason is going to be an unqualified success that the Bears are going to bet 875 with all of their draft picks. They're going to bet 875 with all their free agency acquisitions. And that they're going to successfully, in one offseason with draft capital and a lot of salary cap space, fill the 42 holes on the roster that we've been led to believe that they have by the people in the fraternity that say Justin Fields doesn't have a single teammate that's worth a damn. <laughs> and he's, he's winning these games by himself. And so like right. the assumption is that they're just going to go in and they're going to, they're going to stock the roster with star starters and standout playmakers. And all of a sudden they're going to be on the, the express lanes to success. And I, 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 I really like, I really like that's, that's where we're, we're going to go with that. I, I've got a couple uh, outside the podcast, messages that I'm going to have to share anonymously with you at some point. But I, I mean, I, are you getting the same vibe that it's just sort of a foregone conclusion that 2023 is going to be the, oh, the I, magic I, springboard? I, I do think that there's 
there are a lot of assumptions being made that I'm not comfortable making about the NFL draft. I think that we've covered enough drafts and <laughs> you can point out the difference in drafting 17th and 5th or 6th and 18th or whatever, and you can find a disparity in, in the players and the talent and the value of the draft pick. But number one, I, I don't know that you can assume anything about a general manager in Ryan Poles who hasn't made a first-round draft pick before. And I think that to assign that kind of credibility or to give him that kind of confidence that, that, that outweighs everything about the draft outweighs anything that happens during the season. And I've never been one who believes that because I think that the draft is too haphazard at times. And it's too much of a, uh, of a crapshoot, if you will, to, to place as much emphasis as playing for a draft position. Uh, it allows that to happen. And, and I just don't think that's, that's smart. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's smart. I, I think that is short-sighted actually. And so, and it also misses the point for anybody that cares about winning and losing. <laughs> so I, I really am uncomfortable with that. That's why I don't like this season. It's a very uncomfortable weekly exercise in, in restraint because you're trying to like, you're trying to like resist all these things. Like they, they lost a game. I mean, it drives you crazy. Well, and the, 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 celebrate the fact that they, they, they're, they're improved the draft position because they can go out and draft somebody they want to develop into a type of player who, who what? I mean, it's just right. well, it's counterintuitive. Ask the Browns, the Lions, the Jets what it's like to have top ten draft picks all the time, and you know, and, and miss on them, right? Like, and, and not get them right, and how quickly that gets you back on the road to relevance. I think like there, the, the, this idea that that in order to attain success, you have to fail significantly is sort of disconnected, right? Like this idea that, that you can tank and, and it doesn't matter because ultimately when, when the games matter again, you just find the magic gear and you hit the on switch and you're ready to succeed in game winning moments because that's just what happens, right? Like, and, and it's just not there. That's why the, the loss on Sunday unnerved me a little bit because you had, we'll get into this in the QB one segment, but you had opportunities, many opportunities in the fourth quarter to put that game away. And across all three phases, you failed, including offensively. And then in the last series, Series of the game, you needed to gain 45 or 50 yards against the league's worst defense, right? Like this isn't, you know, like we can sit here for until the, the, the we turn blue in the face and say the, the win loss record for 2022 doesn't matter. Like that's unanimous across the city of Chicago. But when you have opportunities to win games late against bad teams with bad defenses, why doesn't it matter to you that the quarterback and his supporting cast aren't capable of going down the field and getting that done, right? Like that would have been a really nice moment to go beat the Lions yesterday and say, hey, we did it. We've got one in our cap, right? right. Skins on the wall, as John right. Fox used to call them, well, right? Just for morale's sake, too. I mean, Dan, you're in the locker room regularly, and, and I know that we heard Eddie Jackson kind of frustrated post game, wanting to do what the defense can to pick up the offense in Justin Fields, and it was very, it was a valiant attempt to kind of have the defense carry its weight. That's not going to get any easier, and I think that's not going to get even any easier once the losses start to stack, and they already have. So that's from a morale standpoint. The other thing I think I want to address real briefly is that this notion about we all the, the rebuild and we both are well aware of how rebuilds work. And I think the thing that you don't want to sound defensive about is, you know, lashing out. At, we've never covered this before. And what are you looking at? Don't you know where to go? <clears throat> don't you know what goes into a rebuild? Well, of course we do. But this isn't baseball. And <laughs> thank you. And Ryan Poles is not Theo Epstein.
And so I don't I don't know where this narrative mushroomed up, but it seems like in the last five or six days, this has suddenly become the 2014 Cubs. Like I'm getting that from many directions now that it's like, oh, the Cubs did this. So the Bears are going to find their way to their 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 long lost Super Bowl now, too. I was around the 2014 Cubs, okay? And I was around Theo Epstein for every day that he was the president of that franchise. And this ain't that. And so, and baseball is much different than the NFL. You know, the rebuilds don't have to take as long. And they don't necessarily even have to be as complete. It, you can tear it down to the studs. That's, that's what people want to say. Um, that's fine. But there are ways that you can also um, – you, you can serve two masters. You can re, you, you, you can, you don't have to abandon every opportunity at a victory, especially when one is staring you at the, in the face in the fourth quarter uh, against a trash team, as you called the lions. <laughs> they are, they're trash. I know they are at home. <laughs> and so that's why I think that we know what a rebuild is. We know what it requires, but when you miss an opportunity, you can't feel good about that. There is no dispute. No one in the NFL disputes that the Lions are trash. You blew a 14-point lead against them and lost to them on your home field, which then makes you trash. And there are people in Chicago that say, yeah, I agree with you. The Bears are trash. And so my, my follow-up question to that is then, then why the balloons? Why the confetti? Why the, 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 the popped corks? Why, why the, the banners that say the mission's accomplished? Like if, if you're still trash, just because you've gotten a very important piece of the puzzle uh, to be ready to fit right like for the most part uh why why does nothing else matter at that point right like the the the, the climb from trash to championship contender is really steep and it's really long and and I, I i there's a disconnect between how far away those two things are and what the current jubilation is i get it like and 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 you said something on sunday night that that made me think david and we can talk about this for a minute or so just about the 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 world we live in and, and the fact that the our audiences now on talk radio and on social media can shout at us <laughs> literally at every minute of the day right like while you're forming a thought they're shouting at you and the question for me is like look like i covered we've talked about this before i covered college basketball for seven seasons on tobacco road which included three national championship teams is my vision clouded by that yes because i saw what championship success looked like as you did with the Cubs as they built that program. And again, this isn't that, but I bring that up because in my entire time on the ACC basketball beat in North Carolina, social media was just a, it wasn't a thing for the first five or six. And then the last year and a half, it was just kind of a thing. And so you didn't have this constant shouting coming at you and bombarding you from the audience and saying, you're an idiot or think about this. Or, or and, and what I'm trying to do based on what you said on Sunday night is, is make sure that that's not, creating pushback that is detached from the analysis that I'm doing through the press box windows, through my interviews at house hall, through my reporting, rewatching games and, and, and trying to, to at least put up a barricade that prevents it from becoming sort of this, what I think well, you good. said, where other people are trying to, to, well, to, to prove they're right. Right. No, like, and, and I think that's, that's almost what you have to do and not have to do, but I think it helps because you do. what you want to do is, is you don't, you, you, look, we're not fans. I know that will not come as any surprise to anybody who's familiar with either one of us or this podcast or whatever. We're, we're not fans. And, and even, you're a journalist. You work at the Chicago Tribune. I still consider myself a journalist, even though I went to sports talk radio realm about five years ago. But I still like that's the way we define ourselves. That's the way we evaluate 
what we're watching. And when you do that, there is an element that you become conditioned to removing emotion from the equation. And what social media tempts us both to do on a regular basis, and that's just social media, but I think it's the way things are today, is to be emotional in your response, to be, you get a little defensive and you get your back up when someone's calling you a hater. When somebody's texting me this morning at seven o'clock telling me that I don't understand, you know, what it takes to be a rebuild, you want to resist those opportunities to to shout, to try to shout louder than the guy shouting at you. And so that's difficult, but, but Dan, it doesn't serve anybody any good because the fact of the matter is the bears are still in the midst of this. They have seven games to go in this season and each and every game, I think the obligation for us is the same thing is to try to evaluate what happened to the game, how that fits into the big picture. And in that context, what it means to, you know, maybe individuals along the way, the most the important of which is Justin Fields. And that has got to be, the guiding force, and I know that just sounds like maybe lecturing or whatever, but I, but I think that it's it's it bears you know sounding out because it does become difficult in this climate to not get into a shouting match with whoever you're having a discussion with. So I had two conversations, one on the phone and one over text with uh, two folks who have been inside the building at Hellas Hall at some point. Uh, one of them is a former coach that I reached out to uh, just to, to answer a, a strategic question and an X's and O's question. And then the conversation got around to this. And and I'm just going to paraphrase this. I, I'm reading this from my phone right now, just so you have this. And he, he said, this, this is about... Justin Fields. He said, splash paper, splash player. People will get excited about it until they don't. He represents hope, but hope is not a strategy. Just so you're clear, this is someone who believes that Justin Fields has potential to be a long-term franchise quarterback that can be a star in this league. Later went on to say, at quarterback, regardless of the situation, you have to be judged on your ability to win games. Okay, right. Like so Sunday was an opportunity where a win got away. So that was an interesting piece of feedback and a longer conversation regarding that. I also heard from a former Bears player who has been startled the last two weeks at how low the bar has become for the fan base that is obviously intoxicated and rightfully so by what Justin Fields has done in terms of of turning on highlight reels. Right. Like you, you can scroll through (laughs) Twitter and run into a Justin Fields highlight every hour of the day now, because that's how many he's producing, but how that doesn't equate to any sort of promise of long-term success. There are a lot of great quarterbacks in this league that don't attain the ultimate prize. First of all, which is the Super Bowl. That's 25 miles from where we are right now, right? Like we're not even in that realm, but also don't even attain sustained success because there's so many factors that go into this. And so I guess my confusion, uh, and maybe our producer can, can help us out with this a little bit, Adam Stazinski, but just my, my confusion is, 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 so what exactly is the celebration for right now? Right? Like, and if it's just for Justin, I'm, I'm willing to get on board there. Right. And I'm willing to, 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 to say, OK, let's let, let's let's celebrate what this last month has been for this quarterback that's growing. But but, you know, what's next? Like, what's the next goal and when do you expect to get there? So here's my talk to me, studs. Yeah. So here's my perspective <laughs> on the whole. Thing. And by the and- way, uh, let me let me interject this before Adam does. Adam spent between 3 and 5 a.m. Monday morning, <laughs> taking phone calls from Bears fans on 670 to score, as he does and tends to do after home games or after after Bears games on Sunday at noon. So he does have 
uh, interaction with these fans. He does have his finger on the pulse with this conversation. Yeah. And he is a fan himself. Yeah. So, and, and I, I constantly, trust me guys, like I constantly am, am finding myself trying to toe the line between seeing what's happening and trying, and, and when I'm analyzing the game, trying not to be too emotional about it, but realizing that it's okay to be emotional about it sometimes. So when we talk about like Justin Fields in the future, like I, I think the fan base gets so intoxicated by him because they've never had a guy like this. And, you know, we, the bears have never had a quarterback that is just yep. all over Twitter, all over sports center, all over the NFL highlight package. And so that makes people excited and happy and rightfully so like he's made so much progress and he's starting to look like the guy, but where I think some of the fan base gets lost is you can't just have no bar, even in a season that we all understand was never going to go anywhere, right? We all knew coming into the season, like I think I predicted the most wins on this podcast. I think I said six or seven wins. So none of us were predicting playoffs. This is going to be, yeah, this is going to be a a meaningless season in regards to, to overall success as a team. But there has to be a minimum bar somewhere. Like you have to, and when you have an opportunity to to win a game at home against a against a bad team, a division rival, you can't just say, "Oh, oh well, better draft position," and not hold them <laughs> accountable for not winning the game. Like, like I understand that. Yes, in the long run, next year, if things go right and they get a top five pick and they they don't screw that up and and they get an awesome edge rusher three technique receiver, whatever, then we'll all look at this lions game and say, Oh, okay. Well, you know what? In the long run, that was good for them because they got this really good player, but there's, that doesn't mean there's not something valuable in a team struggling to find ways to win, finding a way to win a game that they had right there for them. And like, I think that's a missed opportunity if you're looking at a young team. So that's the way that I look at it. And then as far as, you know, the next step, like you guys are right. We can't assume that everything's going to go right for the team going forward. We can't assume that they have a top five draft pick and they nail it. How many times have we seen the Bears in previous regimes just totally blow that pick? What's the highest pick they ever had, right? Number three, right? Number, Isn't that and, then it became, and it became number two when they traded up to get Trubisky, right? And they got fleeced. Yes. And so and they got fleeced. So I, like we can't assume these things. So, but I think like I understand all the excitement. I'm I'm excited too. Like, and we all acknowledge that the most important thing is Justin Fields have like showing that he can be a franchise quarterback. We all acknowledge that, but that doesn't mean that we just say nothing else matters. That's well, it also, it also doesn't mean that you don't ask for Justin to take important steps that are that are qualifications exactly. for being uh, for being a championship fueling quarterback, like, which like includes winning games at the end and like not throwing an egregious pick six that you know cost your team a lead now he he turned around and he got the lead back so he gets credit for that but he had to get the lead back because of his own mistake right that's the that's the argument for that all right that's a great color got an eight-year contract out of that (laughs) (laughs) ask phil emery about that down in atlanta uh thanks adam um okay so that's what i can help perspective um the only thing i'd add before we move on to our qb1 breakdown because we don't want to get too far into this, but um, 
the the thing that I hear that I you, you it was mentioned during your your sparring uh, afternoon with Dan Bernstein a little <laughs> bit or that was around noon and it was a really good lively discussion it's good radio and you know I respect where Dan is coming from again what we believe isn't right what he believes isn't wrong it's just a matter of a difference of opinion sometimes or, or people who are in that camp it's just a difference of opinion in sports yeah. I always have resisted this idea that it's it is it, so black and white that you. Every move is evaluated by, does it get you closer to the Super Bowl? Okay. There are a lot of teams every year. Okay, how many teams? There's 32 teams in the league. 30 of them don't get to the Super Bowl. You said something during that interview, which is very interesting. You said, you know, not, not every quarterback gets to the Super Bowl. So, I mean, is that an unrealistic standard? No, you want to be lofty in your goals. You want to be ambitious in the way you approach it, aggressive attacking. All those things are true, but you also have to be somewhat realistic. And so – when you're creating this yeah. and you're making progress, you have an opportunities to take steps. You want to take them. You don't want to miss them. And the other aspect is that we ask all the time, is this, is this sustainable with Justin Fields? Is this style of play sustainable? I, I, I think that, you know, that, that's an interesting question because yes, I think the answer is absolutely. You can play in the NFL this way. With Correct. a quarterback that is this gifted as a runner, and they'll develop him as a passer. You You've can't. been getting texts from Zach Zayman too. Um, <laughs> is that yeah? yeah but yeah, mostly about the Cubs um, and, and Syracuse. No, um, but but yeah, the thing is, is that can you win? Win? Can you win that way? Not just play that way. And I think that whether it was Zach or whether I told said that to somebody else is that I think it's a valid thing to remember. Can you? win that way in a style that you can obviously play that way. We know Justin Fields has arrived, but what does that really mean? Right. Well, and then the question, you know, the, the thought process is, is oh, as soon as they get all this other talent around them, they're just going to win 30 to 17, right? Like the defense is going to hold every opponent to 17 and they're not going to be in late game drives and, and the offense is never going to regress. And, you know, Justin's never going to hit a, another pothole in, in his development and it's just full steam ahead. I think we know, from experience like, like i'll say this like first and foremost like the, your quarterback doesn't need to have the same stylistic nuance that he had in 1996 or 2003 right like this is a, a different era of football right now that allows for what justin fields is doing to be absolute fuel to where you want to go but i think we also know that football games that we watch every single sunday monday thursday in the nfl are often won by the quarterbacks that make game winning passing plays in the fourth quarter of a close game right like there's just examples every single week where you say of course the packers beat the cowboys because rogers found something right the the week before brady has a terrible game but on the final drive leads the, the Buccaneers down the field to, to beat the Rams. You see playmakers step up in the passing game in those moments in the fourth quarter of games and, 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 and win it. Right. And so, so like, that's something that Justin has to show. He has to show that he can win the game as a passer in the fourth quarter with the game on the line. And and he's shown us a lot this season and, and it's worth again, wrapping your arms around and saying, this is fun. This is energizing. This is, this is, pushing us in the right direction. Okay, well, now just acknowledge that there's another part of this that 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 needs to – it's a box that needs to be checked. It absolutely has to be checked to even give yourself a chance. All right, let's break down QB1. Okay, so on a day full of 
highlights again for Justin Fields. Let's start with the category defining moment. What was I could have gone in 15 different directions with this one. And I wound up with Justin Fields' first touchdown run, the one at the end of the first half, because in live action, I thought that he had a chance to hit Darnell Mooney, who motioned in and then did the, the sprint back out to the left. I thought he had to just catch it and throw it. Well, I, I watched it a little more closely on, on tape, solicited some opinions from people in the league, and they said, look, like he's going to have to make that throw really quick because the Lions did a really good job in their coverage of passing that off, and, and it's got to be a really quick and accurate throw. Well, Justin didn't like what he saw, and he took off on the run. He had to avoid a sack, which we've seen him do a hundred times now this season, which is really special to watch, right? Like dead to rights, five yards behind the line of scrimmage, gets out. And then David, when he gets to the goal line, we talked about this on Sunday night, he absolutely trucks the Lions safety and knocks him out for the game because you have physics, right? Just straight up physics, a fast, strong (laughs) 230 pound quarterback who just trucked you at the goal line. And now you have shown a defense that, that, I mean, you saw Justin get up from that, right? Like he was fired the F up as he got back up on the sideline and went there. And so I I just thought that was a moment that showed you gifts in a number of different ways. And it's that, again, it's that playmaking punctuation that is going to take this team uh, to new heights when, when, when they can answer some of these other questions. Okay, I'll, uh, I think the easy one would be the 67-yard touchdown, but I want to go for the first play from scrimmage uh, for the Bears. Love that one. It was a read option, and it was 28 yards, and it was a de- designed run from the get-go. And it said to everybody that, again, I'm overstating this, but this is kind of what we do. But Luke Getzey was basically saying, here's our guy, here's our play, stop him if you can, and you know what? They didn't. And so 28 yards later, you get a sense that this is going to be another one of those days. This is going to be another one of those days where the Bears lean into the obvious and they embrace what Justin Fields is. And my God, is that refreshing from a football perspective? You love to see coaches that tailor schemes around a specific skill set. You love to see coaches trying to get the most out of their talent on hand, not kind of wishing for way things will be once you get a good draft or lamenting about what's not here. Luke gets, he's leaning in and I think he can resist it all he wants. Whoever he's copying off of what, however original it might be first down read option, 28 yards. That's our guy. Stop him. You didn't. So I think to me, that was very defining of what would happen after that. David, I love that one because for so many weeks of the Matt Nagy era, the Bears made everything look so hard, right? To get 15 yards, right. it was like, my God, and then they would screw up and then they'd screw up some more and the, the common response was, well, we had one guy that didn't do his job and we just as soon as we can get all 11 guys to do, do the exact right thing on the play, we're going to be able to get you a first down and maybe a 20-yard gain and you're like, well, this is football. Then 11 guys never, it's like trying to hit an 11-game parlay, right? Like the odds of that are, 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 are so outlandish of that happening all the time that you have to have playmaking instincts in the instance that you brought up justin made that look so easy it's just a simple read turn on the gas pedal you get 28 yards without even getting touched and (laughs) then and and, he he didn't look like he broke a sweat it was just a jog for 28 for 28 right like that's that's a good one all right on the bright side 
I go with the touchdown pass to Komet, the second one, the 50-yarder, because, again, it's what we talked about Sunday night. It's it's the play design, it's the execution by these guys, and then, then it's the confusion by the defense that is created in part because you've made them upset all day long, right? Like, they're so sick of trying to track your quarterback as a runner that you have a cornerback and a safety get kind of confused in assignments, and then the safety doesn't uh, keep his eye discipline with Cole or doesn't know his assignment with Cole, and Cole just runs uh, a, a route that is, again, this is, this is a, a variation of a play that the Bears have run dozens of times this year, and you put the defense in conflict, and it breaks wide open, and then the uh, the quarterback hits it. And so on Monday afternoon, David, we had a chance to talk to Cole Komet again, and so he had a couple things uh, to say about that play. One of them is, is more of an X's and O's things. The other one's uh, an interesting footnote on what happens when you are a uh, receiver with 40 yards of separation and a high fly ball coming to you on the east sideline at Soldier Field. Yeah, well, we ran um, a few plays prior. We ran a 13 personnel with three tight ends. Um, and, you know, we'd been running that throughout the year. And, um, yeah, I think it just set up nice where we were kind of – Luke obviously saw it throughout the game that they were overplaying a little bit. We run a lot of those movements with Justin. You know, Justin really likes those type of types of, types of pass plays to get him out of the pocket. And, um, yeah, we just was able to – kind of nod the the safety over a little bit and then and then come come flat across his face and it turned out to be a big play when the balls what's literally going through your mind when the ball's in the air you yeah. know you're that wide open and you probably know yeah. everybody in that stadium is yeah happy. yeah well it, the ball the sun at that time was also like right in the vision so i lost it for for a couple seconds i'm like where is this thing at and then uh <laughs> and then it, it we had like there's slight shade coming in you kind of see it peek through the sun and so so yeah my baseball days playing center field probably helped out in that situation yeah yeah the eye bike totally helps yeah yeah do you think it's any accident that they have gotten him more involved and he has as many touchdowns as he's scored in the last three games what is it five in the last three games five and three games yeah so how is that in your mind related to fields kind of development as well or he's taking a step forward how are they related which kind of it, it might be a chicken or the egg thing but is that helping fields more or fields helping commit well, remember when we got to the first week of October, David, and we were like, at some point, all of this high-profile running production has to equate to something in the play-action game, right? It was starting to get frustrating for a handful of weeks where it's like, man, I mean, you're running the ball at will, and you're not getting anything off of play-action. Well, now, every week, they're getting something off play-action, and Cole's doing a tremendous job of, of you know – running those routes, right. And, and setting those up. And Justin's doing a tremendous job with his fakes and knowing what he's looking for. And, and they're just, they're in sync and they're flowing now. And it's really, really encouraging for guys that continue to put in the work and continue to try to build that chemistry to get these results. I mean, look like the, the, it's not an accident. Five touchdowns in three weeks is not an accident, right? Like that's a trend. And it's a trend that bodes very well for the bears because you may have yourself now a gift at tight end that allows you one less hole to have to go plug on a roster full of holes in 2023. All right. My, uh, on the bright side, just so we don't overlook it, the 67 yard, uh, touchdown run just from the standpoint of very, very specific narrow scope here is the fact that it showed a ton of resilience and resolve and the kinds of things that are intangibles about Justin Fields that the more you see, the more you like, and, and you never know, Really, I mean, let's face it. You you hope a lot of things about your quarterback when, you know, when when you draft him, when you sign him. You know, you get a quarterback and you any player really. You don't really know what you have until you face some adversity. 
Justin Fields has faced his share of adversity already, and the pick six was his first exposure to that this season. And his response to that was what you want to see. He's like, okay, I don't like it. He's never going to do it again. He'd made all those personal vows to himself, whatever he did. And then he went out and he said, you can't stop me. And they didn't. So I, I like that as a, as a, a moment that you look at and you think, okay, that is on the bright side. He showed resolve and nobody can catch him. Yeah, no question. And, and man, like Matt Eberflus said on Monday afternoon, like that guy, when he hits the gas pedal, like good luck, right? Like, cause it's just a, a cloud of dust and smoke and, and, and good luck if you're a defender trying to get catch up to that. He has turned on so many bears fans to next gen stats. You know? <laughs> every week there's a new mile per hour threshold that he crosses. So that was pretty cool. Okay. This is going to be fairly uh, I don't want to say easy, but there are a couple to pick from. Uh-oh, what was the uh-oh moment for you? So my uh-oh moment is the entire fourth quarter, right? And and, and and that includes the uh-oh moment that is within what you are going to share next, I'm pretty sure. But you have five possessions with a two-touchdown uh, two lead going into the quarter, and here's the results. Three plays, punt. Two plays, pick six. Three plays, touchdown. Three plays, punt. Six plays, turnover on downs. The yardage in that quarter outside of the 67-yard touchdown run was 17 yards on the other 16 plays. So you didn't get anything going offensively in the fourth quarter. You had a chance to seal a game with the lead, and you couldn't get it done. And then you had a chance to play from behind and win a game at the end, and you couldn't get it done. The fourth quarter was a mess. You take out that 67-yard touchdown run that Fields had, and you watch the rest of that quarter, David. It's a horror show of of just mis-execution and, and just being completely out of sorts, which makes no sense because for the first three quarters, you felt like you were in rhythm and you were doing a lot of things right. And it's troubling to me because the Bears just haven't been able in the fourth quarter of games to – step up and answer the bell, right? And, and and even when they do, they don't get across the goal line or they something goes wrong. Got to get that figured out. And that, that's that been a common theme amongst players and coaches of the last, you know, 36 hours of, uh, of trying to figure out how do we how do we take this next step to, to succeed in the fourth quarter? Well, that's, that's a great one. You know, two passes for 13 yards uh, in the fourth quarter is not acceptable. You're not going to win many games that way. The, the pick six is something that Aiden Hutchinson made a terrific play. He read it, he snipped it out. Uh, Justin Fields should have thrown the ball away. He learned from that immediately. These things, as much as that was the indelible uh-oh of the day, if that's even a, a phrase, or the play you're never going to forget, fine. That kind of goes without saying. We don't have to dig into that too deeply because we know that Hutchinson read it, Akuda picked it off, and then nobody could catch him, and the Ohio State teammate uh, <laughs> uh, scores a touchdown, and I think that's an indelible play. But, Dan – while we're on the subject and while we're on this this category, I found a little bit or equally troubling or at least kind of frustrating, I think is the right word. Third and 15, second to last play of the game offensively for the Bears. And Justin Fields throws short over the middle to David Montgomery. Not great presence of mind. Don't know where the play call came from. Not sure if you dug in post game or heard anything today. I didn't see anything reported about this. But what in the world are you doing throwing a seven-yard pass in third and 15 with uh, a minute 18 left and you need to drive to try to score a field goal? I think that was showing such a, you know, 
no presence of mind, no awareness. And I think you've got to have better sense of what to do in that situation. Well, look, I, I'm looking back in my notes here from the rewatch, and, and, and you're in third and 15 because Justin takes a five-yard sack on the uh, on the previous play, which is, you know, situationally, you can't afford that, right? You can't afford to be in third and 15 by holding the ball too long. If no one's open, put the ball in the seats and make it third and 10. I think they were just trying to bite off a, a reasonable chunk of yardage. If you couldn't get something down the field, know where your check down is and, and set yourself up for a winnable fourth and eight. But the entire that entire drive, every single play was a, a, a bit of a mess and you know there, there's there's a, a, a you know a play where where justin just loses pocket presence earlier in the drive and and he, he's got to spin out without uh needing to and, and it's just the whole the whole drive was discombobulated and you're just like why is that and you just keep hearing from players and coaches oh it's execution oh we we do this right in practice all the time well it's it's time now right like there, there's been enough experience gained and 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 under your belt at this stage of the season to be able to, to step up and succeed in one of those moments. Right. And that's why it's so troubling. Uh, you know, I'll ask around a little bit more as the week goes on about that, that particular third down, but it did that entire drive. Like I would challenge anyone that is, is, uh, looking at things with a critical eye to watch that drive and tell me what they liked because All it right. was, it was a mess. Last category, big number. My big number is four, and I'm giving Justin credit for the four touchdowns that he produced again for the second consecutive week. We do not know what this is like in Chicago to have a quarterback that can produce four touchdowns on an every week basis. Justin Fields is going to win a lot of people their fantasy leagues here in the next two months if he keeps producing the way he's producing on the scoreboard in this regard. Hopefully the Bears will win some games in in concert with that at some point, but the guy is making plays, and you can't deny that. Eight touchdowns over the last two weeks is really impressive. And my big number is 147. That's the number of rushing yards for Justin Fields. Led the Bears again, 13 carries, 10 designed runs, which is very interesting. And the 147, according to our guy Larry Mayer at ChicagoBears.com, going back to 1984. That's how far you have to go back before you get a Bears running back. I think his name was uh, Peyton, Walter Peyton, who had two, two consecutive games of 147 or more yards the way Justin Fields just put together. Oh, it's this guy. Yes, that guy. Right (laughs) right over your right shoulder there. And Chicago Tribune's decade-by-decade history of the Chicago Bears. Yeah, Walter Payton. When you are in that kind of company, it it shows you why there is such excitement. It shows you the rarefied air that you are uh, breathing in. And so if you're Justin Fields and you're a fan of the Bears and you're a Chicago sports observer – it, it, that kind of history that you're making, it, it's it's why we haven't seen this since Devin Hester in a Bears uniform, that kind of excitement. Why we haven't seen it maybe in Chicago sports, somebody capture the, the fan base or the city like this like, since Derrick Rose. And I, and I think that's the last guy I can think of. Boy, you didn't want to miss anything that happened during his MVP season when he was the youngest NBA MVP. And Justin Fields is on that kind of run. Yeah, and I'm on the train. I, I, I hope people understand that I'm on the train. And like, like I, I, the thing that I hope more than anything, I can't expect everyone to to listen to all three of my score hits and all three of our take the Norse every week and read every word that I write in the Chicago Tribune. But I also don't want uh, to be to be judged by you know one-off tweets here and there that don't that don't tell the whole story of what I'm saying about Justin Fields. I want it to be very clear that I'm very, very, very optimistic and encouraged by the excitement he's created. Now it's just about, you know, bringing 
the rest of the operation along. Right. And, and, and we've got, look like we've got seven more games and that's why I go back to the start of what we talked about. I don't want to cancel the last seven, seven games. I think we can learn a lot about this quarterback and this team in the, in, in the next seven games in eight weeks. Right. I think there is a lot to learn here. And, and I just hope that people are, are open-minded to realize that, that we can, we can learn more about this story as we go here. Yeah. I think we're both enjoying it. Who doesn't like what they're <laughs> seeing from Justin Fields. That is not the point. A lot of the other stuff kind of gets in the way and, and complicates the big picture. And I think we both can appreciate greatness. And you certainly like to be able to, as you have said a couple of times, the boy, the Bears scoring multiple touchdowns is kind of a new thing. So you can pick which one you want to explore post-game and you've got all these choices. What do you do? And that is a product of having a dynamic quarterback who can beat you with his legs. And he's going to have to learn how to beat you with his arm. But boy, is it going to be fun to see him develop. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Hey, everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's close things up with our two-minute drill. The two-minute drill. The two-minute drill. Around with the wide receiver room, <laughs> Alice Jones, healthy scratch, and Keel Harry, healthy scratch. Chase Claypool, 19 snaps. I want to know if you are in full developmental mode or if this season doesn't matter, why is Byron Pringle taking up airspace on the sidelines? Why is Equinemius St. Brown doing what he's doing? Don't the three guys that I just mentioned have to be part of it? Dante Pettis, why is he out there? So this is a problem. There's a two-pronged answer to that. The reason Dante Pettis is out there is because they need him to return punts because the guy you drafted in the third round to return punts can't catch them. And the only reliable option you have right now is Dante Pettis. And so now he's eating up snaps on offense and he's eating up a roster spot on game day because you need him to go back and catch punts and you can only carry so many receivers on your game day roster and so you're in a pickle right like it's a total pickle Brian, Byron Pringle comes back off injured reserve and he contributes what was the final number yesterday he gets one catch for 12 yards on two targets I mean we're six, we're, we're six months into the Byron Pringle experiment and penalty. I and I don't know I don't know what we're expecting there and so like this is this is why I'm not going to be overly critical or overly harsh about this, but this idea that, they, that they're just going to shake a magic wand and the receiving core is going to be fixed for 2023 is a big leap of faith because they had opportunities right. in this last roster acquisition cycle to make upgrades to the receiver position. They chose not to pick a receiver with two picks in, in round two, right? And we know the receivers that came off the board there. Then they used a third rounder on Valus Jones, who's been awful, right? He's been a total disappointment for you, his rookie season to this point. Then you go out in free agency and, and you get Pringle and he's given you nothing. And then you roll the dice. It's a low risk dice roll on Nikhil Harry. But hey, guess what? He's not dynamic enough to get a jersey on game day. And then you've got Clay, Chase Claypool, who I think people have to come to grips with the understanding that this might be your biggest 2023 ride receiver acquisition, right? Because you're going to go in to 2023 with two uh, receivers entering contract years, and that's Mooney and Claypool. And you're going to have to decide whether you want to pay one or both, right? And that's going to require some investment. And, and one of those guys is probably going to get a, an extension before the 2023 season starts, right? And so now you just got to understand 
understand that like the, 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 they've got a lot of, of work to do at that position. They don't have a lot of answers built in. And I just I just don't know where it's going to go to the point where, where people say, oh, now Justin's got the game breaking talent that's going to turn him into a superstar. All right, let's talk about Jack Sanborn or the Jackhammer, as Jeff Joniak dubbed him. I uh, want to be clear here. I think Jack Sanborn is somebody I want on my football team. I would even be comfortable with him being a starting linebacker in my defense. The only thing that I have gotten some pushback on is that my statement that I stand by, if he is your best defensive player, your defense is limited. He is an undrafted free agent. I hope he's in the league for 10 years. And you know what? He could be. He's going to be a, a reliable tackler, a good special teamer, and a role player on defense. He could be your starter, but I do think that he has some uh, athletic limitations that are obvious, and that's okay because he could maybe overcome them, and he has begun to do that. That's why they trust him. What is his role moving forward, Dan? And do you think that his presence played any part in the Bears' thinking on whether or not to trade Roquan Smith? Look, I think I, I don't know that that factored in at all. Like, I think that that's just it's kind of the next man up in, in that regard. I don't think he factored into the Roquan trade, but I do think he can he can be a low cost starting option for you. Right. He certainly hasn't looked out of place these first two starts. And he, he's just a guy who's assignment sound and has instincts. Right. And Jack talked to us on Monday afternoon and somebody asked him, like, when did you know you had instincts? And he's just like, you know, I, mean, I don't know, like you start playing linebacker a lot and you develop them and you're at Wisconsin and you see other NFL caliber linebackers ahead of you, you know, playing the position a certain way and you learn things from them. And over time, you just kind of, you know, work on your craft and sharpen your skills and, and, and you find out ways to minimize your limitations and use things that you're really good at. And you're a productive player. And, and the Bears coaching staff, I think, came away impressed in the preseason, right? Like they, they, they saw things in, in training camp and, and during the offseason that said, OK, let's see what this looks like when the lights come on. And then Jack Sanborn, a hometown kid with a lot to play for, met the moment, right? We talk about that all the time on this podcast. And he did great in the preseason. And that builds confidence in the people around you. Um, I, I think, you know, I, I think he's more than a placeholder, right? Like, I think he's a guy that, that can that can give you something there. And now you just go into that mode of, okay, like if we can if we can have an undrafted rookie become a starting caliber player for us on our defense, now we can allot some of these other resources to more premium positions. I think we're both in agreement that they better go find multiple pass rushers for 2023 because they can't generate pressure at all right now. Totally agree. And pressure would help the secondary. Secondary struggled at times. Uh, and it brings me to my next point I want to ask you about. Jalen Johnson gave up a 44-yard completion to Tom Kennedy. Oh, you know Tom Kennedy. He went to Bryant <laughs> College. He's a professional lacrosse player. That Tom Kennedy. Yeah, 5'10 and weighs 175 pounds soaking wet after lunch. He got behind. He, he beat Jalen Johnson, right? And what happened on that play? And I, and I guess I know what happened on that play. I watched it. I rewatched it, and I watched it again. The question is this. I thought Jalen Johnson playing through an oblique, whatever the injury turns out to be, was something that I admired. I thought it was a, a, a consideration when evaluating just how critical to be of him not covering Tom, uh, Tom uh, Kennedy, whatever his name is, in that situation. <laughs> but I think that this is what Matt Eberflus had to say when asked about the right way to approach or evaluate Jalen Johnson given his injury. Yeah, we don't make excuses. He was out there playing. We got we got to play. Okay, Dan, that did not sound like a coach 
who was necessarily defending his guy and using that as a crutch or an excuse or an explanation for why he wasn't a better defender in that play. What did you think of that? So I was a little disappointed Sunday afternoon when Jalen Johnson threw a Bears spokesperson declined to talk to reporters after the game, but promised that he would speak on Monday instead. And then he decided to not speak on Monday at Hallis Hall. And because I, I was I was eager to ask him, you know, about the oblique issue and exactly what the the discomfort and the limitations were to get a more honest depiction from the player himself of what he was playing through. He had to come out of the game in the first half because he was obviously in discomfort and, and, and didn't look like himself the whole afternoon. And when Tom Kennedy, you know, the neighbor that you borrowed your drill from last week <laughs> <laughs> gets free for a 44 yard uh, reception on the game winning drive, you have to say, well, what, what, what is that? Right? Like just a week and a half ago, uh, Jalen Johnson was raising his hand to shadow Tyreek Hill, right? And now you can't cover t- Tom Kennedy, Troy Kennedy, Tim Kennedy, whatever his name is. I'll get, to, I'll, get to, I'll get you the drill back by Friday, I promise. But <laughs> Eberflus did not come rallying to his defense. And so now we just have to figure out what this looks like going forward. I mean, Matt, you heard him there say, look, like if the player says they're good to go, we believe they're good to go. Um, clearly, Tevin Jenkins, who was also a late addition to the injury report during practice last week, wasn't good to go on Sunday and, and was replaced in the starting lineup and didn't play. So I just, it's something to keep an eye on. Cause I'm not, I'm not really sure what's there or how J- Jalen was feeling and, and, and how he kind of regroups from this. All right. Last thing I want to point out or ask about what, what is the, uh, your status report? How concerned are you? How concerned should we be? Cairo Santos did not have a good day. <laughs> the missed PAT, the kick out of bounds, and then I don't think that he necessarily sounded post game either like a guy that was necessarily, um, well, let's just say that we have heard other kickers fall on the sword a little bit more obviously than Cairo Santos did. I looked away uh, during the PAT after that that touchdown run just for a second to write something down in my notebook, and then it was like people like he, he missed it. I'm like, oh man, that's bad. Rewatched it on Monday. He didn't miss it. I mean, that was that was like one of the worst snap hooks that like I hit off the first tee somewhere where it's just like, oh god, like I hope that didn't go through the the patio window of that that person's backyard. I mean, that was there was something wrong there, and I'd be interested later in the week to get the full diagnosis that Cairo saw. Um, yeah, I mean, (laughs) off day for sure. I mean, the guy's still been, 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 been rock solid for you for most of the year outside of the monsoon game. Um, you know, it's not a trend to me yet. It was, it was a rough afternoon and and I just, I'd be curious later in the week to circle back because he's Cairo's usually a very stand-up guy and very like almost to a fault open about, about what goes on in his world. And so he's going to have some questions to answer and I'm sure he will do so willingly. And people, that doesn't mean I don't like Cairo Santos. That doesn't mean I've lost confidence in Cairo Santos. I think Cairo Santos is an outstanding kicker who's been very good for the bears, but he had a bad day. And they lost by one. Cairo hater. No, okay. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to spend an entire segment next time on defending kickers. Um, The franchise kicker. Yeah. Anything else that we have left out today? Lively discussion about QB1 mostly, but uh, anything else that I overlooked? 
I don't think so. I'm trying to think of some of the footnotes and nuggets we had. I mean, we got. I mean, this this is a this is a, a, a long haul here with seven more games here. Um, I'm eager to learn. I'm eager to learn. I hope other people are are, are just as open minded at, at understanding that we can learn a lot more about this football team down the stretch against opponents they should beat, like the Falcons, and opponents they shouldn't. Right? That that will show uh, us in reality how far away they really are from from being a top-notch team this will drop on tuesday morning um we will regather again to drop another episode friday morning by friday morning dan our assignment for the next pod is to come up with our favorite ex-bear paid by the Falcons this week. Oh yeah, man, there's a lot of them. <laughs> Player coach. Or, we could do a draft and it could it could be the entire podcast, <laughs> the entire 45 minutes or so. All right. Um, thank you for listening to the Take the North podcast. It's available free on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You can download, listen, subscribe, and please give us some feedback. We know that you have some. So provide it uh, good or bad or ugly. We are here for it because we're just trying to talk Everyone through this season, seven games to go. The Bears, three and seven, three losses in a row. Six of the last seven uh, have been defeats, and it's been a slog, and it's only going to, well, who knows? We'll wait until Friday to determine what Sunday is going to bring. Yeah, so, I, I, I'm eager. I'm eager to, you know, two more flights here in the month of November, and we'll, we'll have some road trips to see what the Bears can get done. For our ace producer, Adam Stadzinski, for Dan Weeder from the Chicago Tribune, I am David Haw from 670 The Score and the Mullion Haw Show. Thank you for listening to the Take the North podcast. We will talk to you Friday. Great talk. See you out there.